Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 356 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Are we feeling good, ladies and gentlemen? We should be, because it is Wednesday, November 10th, 2021, and our Duke Blue Devils are 1-0 on the season after a thrilling victory over Kentucky last night in the Champions Classic. We will recap that, and then after the break, we're going to preview the two games coming up this weekend against Army and Campbell. First off, I'm Donald Wine, your host for this episode. I have my two friends with me as well, Jason Evans and Sam Klein. Jason, how are we feeling today? Feeling great, man. You know, it's weird. It, I know it's only been since, you know, early March. It feels longer than that. It feels like we've been waiting on this college basketball season. I guess it's because Coach K, you know, um, Coach K announcing his retirement, it built up the anticipation for this. It just, it feels like it's been two years, not six months. I know. It, 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 I think COVID had a lot to do with it, with no fans being in Cameron and not a lot of fans being in other venues, but having a full packed house at the garden last night was great. Sam, tell us how you're feeling this morning or this afternoon. Uh, how would you feel about the game last night? Man, I was buzzing last night uh, watching that game at home on the couch. It was the, the, the crowd at MSG, you could feel the energy uh, coming through the TV. I know the announcers were talking about it. I don't think I needed the announcers to tell me how excited folks were. And by the way, you know, I was flipping through my Instagram and all my, all my Duke friends in New York are all posting photos and videos and stuff from the game. So uh, it was, it looked like it was a good time. I am, I am sad to have missed it in person. Same, same. I, I got some last minute tickets, but as you guys know, I had just gotten back from Hawaii. I couldn't swing it. Uh, but a lot of people reminded me that I should have been there last night. It was, uh, we'll get right into it. It was a, as you said, an electric atmosphere at Madison Square Garden. Uh, it sounded great on TV, the crowd, and the game itself was awesome to watch. Uh, in the end, Duke wins 79-71. And for all of you out there, it is our first recap of the year. So to remind everyone how we usually do this is we break down our recaps into different categories. So we will, of course, discuss the good and the bad. But before that, we always open with the headline from the game. So, gentlemen, no explanations because we will discuss a lot of that in the good and the bad. Sam, I start with you. What is your headline for this Duke win over Kentucky? For Duke's first game of the season, I have Trevor Keels isn't fat. He's big boned. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's P-H-A-T, right? Or, or is, you know, that's right. Pretty hot and tempting. Yeah. Uh, very good one. Very good one. Jason, what about you? Baby Blue Devils burn big blue. Um, Palo and Trevor looked nothing like freshmen in this game. Uh, so you're going to have to say that five times fast. And, and because the, the, all the B's, the alliteration, <laughs> terrific. Baby uh, Blue Devils burn big blue. Five times fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, mine is keel mode is the best mode for Duke in the garden. I think that says a lot about last night's game. So uh, we then head to the good stuff, the cake and the ice cream portion of this recap. So, Jason, you get to start with what you thought was good about last night. So I, I want to begin by saying this. Look, all of the observations we're going to make are based on one game. You don't want to fall into the trap of thinking you're seeing season-long trends from just a sample size of one. What's more, you have to wonder how much of what we saw was something that Duke will do again and again, and how much of it was something that, hey, this works against Kentucky. So that said, the biggest good thing, the most important thing in this game, I think the story of this game was shot selection. Duke's shot selection was outstanding. Du I'm going to give you some stats here. 
Duke took 48 two-point shots. 34 of their 48 shots came either as dunks or shots that were, uh, you know, at the rim within, you know, three to five feet of the basket. 34 of Duke's 48 shots were taken within a couple feet of the basket. Duke only took 14 mid-range jumpers, which, as we all know, is the, the worst shot in basketball. And by the way, almost all those mid-range jumpers were uncontested pull-up jumpers that Trevor Keels and Paolo Bancaro were taking. Wendell Moore took some of them. When, when they were driving, the defense would drop off of them, and they were able to rise up for a fairly uncontested mid-range jumper. Kentucky, on the other hand, took 59 two-point shots. I said Duke took 48. Kentucky took 59 two-point shots. 30 of Kentucky's 59 two-point shots were mid-range jumpers. And so more than half of Kentucky's shots were the least efficient shot in basketball. And most of those were shots where Duke was in their face, contesting them. The Kentucky guys were off balance. Ty Ty Washington, who's supposed to be their offensive leader, was utterly frustrated, taking terrible shots all night long. I thought the Duke perimeter defense forced them into bad shots, forced them into turnovers, whereas Duke took smart shots. Duke held on to the ball really well. We Look, we, we didn't shoot or make a lot of threes, and I know we're going to get to that later on. You can be efficient. You can be one of the best offensive teams in the country by taking smart shots and protecting the ball and shooting free throws. We went to the line a ton. Duke had 23 free throw attempts versus just seven for Kentucky. I think all of this falls into shot selection. To me, that was the biggest story of the game. The, sorry. <clears throat> the place I wanted to start, Jason, was uh, highlighting some of the best players that, that, performed for Duke last night and Donald referenced this in his headline uh, or actually I think both of you referenced this in your headline that that Trevor Keels was far and away the star here and I and I had that as well uh, Trevor Keels and, and Paulo Bancaro delivered one of the best sort of duo debut performances I think that we've seen uh, even though the memory of RJ Barrett Zion Williamson and Cam Reddish's debut is all still uh, fairly top of mind you know, if you're thinking about sort of the long history of, of Duke debuts, both Keels and Bencaro uh, going for over 20 points, Trevor Keels just looked like he was able to dominate at both ends of the floor, uh, pushing his way through defenders to get to the hole, uh, uh, stealing the ball a few times and, and being generally disruptive on defense. So uh, I, I wanted to focus my good on, on those two guys. And Paulo, the, my big takeaway for him is what a pedestrian 22 and seven that he had. I mean, other than he did have one kind of ferocious dunk that was sort of opportunistic, but other than that, uh, as you were saying, Jason, uh, just good shot selection, good, good, just sort of getting to his spots and, and looking generally mature. I think we were excited coming into the year that he was sort of NBA. He was NBA bound. He's not NBA bound. He's NBA ready, this guy. And, and I don't, I don't think we've seen, We've seen players, I think, that were more talented than Paulo Bancaro. I don't know that we've seen freshmen that were this polished right off the bat uh, coming into the season. I, I love that you said that, by the way, because that's what struck me about his game. It was not, uh, look, we've, we've seen the explosive, you know, the Zion Williamson, the explosive kind of guys. We've seen the guys who, you know, just clearly have such an uh, overwhelming kind of talent for basketball. You know, I, I think of uh, Marvin Bagley types. Um, I don't, I agree with you, Sam. I don't know that we've really seen 
someone like this that just showed off such a tremendous amount of skill. Um, it, it, it re- it, there's no word to say it other than that. He looked like he could do whatever he wanted at any moment on the floor, which is truly unreal for a freshman of his size. One guy that I think I would compare it to is Jaleel Okafor, who did also did not have overwhelming athleticism, it, like not as athletic as, as Paulo is, but Jaleel's skills, I think, were, were sort of more obvious because it was a lot of like classic big man moves. So I think it's sort of easier to look out for rather than Paulo, who's just good at who's just good at sort of finding his way to the right spot on the floor. And and when he's got the ball after a rebound, he can just run it up. And and we sort of knew that going into the season. So we're not as taken by the fact that he's a 6'10 guy who can just rebound the ball and start running. But that is rare. Uh, there are very few guys that that can do that at the college level, regardless of age. Then just to talk about freshmen, there are, there are almost no players in, in modern history that you can talk about that have been able to do that from the jump. So I'm glad you guys mentioned the two freshmen who had a huge game and honestly were the two stars of this game. But I also want to talk about Wendell Moore a little bit and show him some love because Last year, we, he was up and down. He was very inconsistent. And leading into this year, we talked about what steps he was going to take to kind of elevate not only his game, but his leadership. And Wendell Moore did both of that last night. He, he, you know, he was over 12. I think he had 12 points. So he was over double digits. He was the other, the other guy over double digits. But his leadership was there. And I'll tell you a couple of instances where it was, to me, on point. The first one was actually both of them had to do with Trevor Keels and Paulo Bancaro when they had offensive fouls. And when they had an offensive foul, you could when Paulo had his early in the first half or late in the first half, you could tell that he was starting to get a little frustrated because he was like, that's not a foul. And it wasn't. But Wendell Moore was there within seconds to just kind of calmly like whisper into his ear and give him a pat on the back and just kind of, you know, let him know like, hey, this is what you did. This is what they're going to call. Don't worry about it. Next play, you're going to get him. And sure enough, the next play, they went right back to Paul Bancaro. He went in for a layup, and he was off and running again. Second half, Trevor Keels had that dynamite run where he kind of was the man for about five to six minutes. And it ended with him also having a, an offensive foul. Again, this is when Wendell Moore was nursing his cramps. Paul Bancaro's in the locker room with cramps. Trevor Keels is starting to show cramps. And... Window just kind of calmly looked at him and just kind of said, you're good. You got this. Don't worry about it. Get back in the game and you'll be fine. And they were able to settle down. And I'll talk a little bit about that part later. But Wendell Moore's leadership last night was very, very key. And it didn't have to be demonstrative. It just had to be telling these guys what they needed to hear to get them back on the court and get their minds back on the next play or the next you know, drive, the next possession. So I really liked what I saw from Wendell Moore in that avenue, way above everything else that he was excelling at last night. I think the other thing, since we're kind of doing a little snake draft here, um, that I want to talk about is turnovers, or lack thereof. We were under 10 turnovers, and guys, I don't know how many times we were under 10 turnovers last year, but it wasn't that many, where we had games where we took care of the basketball. And really, for the most part, a lot of those turnovers weren't careless throwing the ball away or throwing it to a team. It was good defensive stops by Kentucky that forced these turnovers. We, on the other hand, forced them into 13 turnovers, and we were also taking the ball away. We had nine steals last night. So these guys, I mean, 
sake, sake of this game being just absolutely incredible, which again, we'll, we'll keep talking about, but taking care of the basketball we said was going to be super important for this team to excel and be great. And because of that, we were able to be efficient with our possessions because we had the ball in our hands. And even when we drove to the basket, a lot of times last year, we would drive to the basket and that's where we would be careless and reckless and be out of control. We didn't have a lot of offensive fouls and we didn't have a lot of turnovers. And I think that right there was the difference in the game because the poise that they showed to keep take, taking care of the basketball and to not put themselves in positions that would make it where the other team got the ball going the other way was why Kentucky was always felt like they were on their back heels, even when they were trying to creep back into the game. Sam, I wanted to go back to you because I know you had a little bit more window more and also another big man that I thought played very, very well in his debut for Duke last night. Yeah, I'm glad that you highlighted Wendell Moore, who I have been very excited about in the preseason for all the all the maturity and growth that I think we expected to see from him this year. And all of that came to light last night. The other guy that, that I wanted to call out specifically was Theo John, who I was looking at in the preseason as definitively the third big behind 30-minute-a-game uh, Paulo Bancaro and, and Mark Williams. And what we saw last night from Theo John is that he is, of course, uh, you know, a very well-developed, like physically, uh, physically developed player, but also very skilled at both ends of the floor, cleaning up the, the glass at, as on both offense and defense, um, playing a lot of, a lot of defense that is disrupting what the other team wants to do, uh, getting them into, into awkward positions and, and sort of covered just by his sheer size um, and, and also bringing a lot of that poise and leadership. So I was excited to see Theo John play so much last night and, uh, and, and, you know, don't want to overshadow his debut uh, just because Trevor Keels and Paulo Bancaro were so incredible. And as he noted twice to Lance Ware during the game last night, when things got a little chippy, he is also the wrong one. And if you know what that, if you know, you know, but when it started getting a little chippy, they started to get into everyone's face and Lance Ware tried to get into Theo John's face. John said, I am not the one that you need to be playing with. I am not, I am a man. I am not a little boy. Don't play with me. So I appreciate yeah, as much that as, from him as well. As much as we admire Mark Williams' skill in the post, uh, he is not the guy that I'm bringing to the fight. <laughs> New. I'm really liking my uh, 15 minute per game projection that uh, Theo John was going to have this season. I know, right? I, I picked more minutes than either of you guys. And I'm feeling pretty good about that at the moment. One game, one game I know, but anyway. Uh, guys, a, a little more good from me. Um, I, I want to talk about two things. First one is defense. Um, Cause I thought that Duke did an outstanding job dealing with the speed of the Kentucky guards, severe Wheeler. Whew, that, that, that guy is fast <laughs> and he is super creative with the ball. I mean, I know in the preview folks, if you listened to our preview a few days ago, we talked about the fact that severe Wheeler doesn't need a screen to get around his man and get into the lane. He demonstrated that during the game repeatedly. And when you come to help, he's going to find the open man. He is a brilliant, brilliant passer. But I thought Duke did a really nice job of containing him. And uh, and and we destroyed Ty Ty Washington. I already mentioned that earlier. But I, I really felt like all three of Keels, Moore, and Roach, our three primary perimeter players, did such a nice job on the Kentucky guards. Um, everyone sort of the, the, the story of this game was going to be Duke is going to be better on the interior. Kentucky's going to be better on the perimeter. And I'm not sure that it played out that way. In fact, I, it, it really didn't play out that way. And that's a testament to the hard work our guys did on defense. I was especially impressed with Trevor Keels, his ability to use his body 
on both offense and defense is incredibly advanced for a dude in his first college basketball game. And that kind of takes me to, I want to talk about our physicality as well. Um, this team is just so strong. They can't be pushed back by anyone. Um, and uh, Trevor Keels, Paolo Bencaro, and Wendell Moore, all three of them were just able to put their head down and get to the basket because they are so strong. They can't be knocked off their spot. And when they get in the lane, they're able to finish really well because you you hit them and you bounce off them. They don't bounce off you. Um, so I thought that, you know, Duke's physicality, we haven't seen a Duke team like this in a long time. I mean, it's probably, I'm, I'm thinking back, uh, 2015 comes to mind because Jalil Okafor was so strong, Justice Winslow was so strong, um, Emil Jefferson. We had got, you know, we had guys on that team who, who were a little bit more mature, even as younger players. And, and it allowed us, it allowed that team to not be pushed back. And the Duke team I saw last night wasn't pushed back at all. And the last good thing I wanted to mention really quickly, crunch time. Look, with nine minutes left in this game, Duke led 69 to 54. And it looked like we were going to blow them out. And Kentucky went on an 11-0 run over the next three minutes. It was a four-point game with six minutes left. And if you weren't a nervous Duke fan, then I don't know. I, 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 I was very concerned. This was right around the time that both Wendell Moore and Paolo Bancaro were sitting on the bench with cramps. And I know we're going to talk about that later. But the fact that these guys didn't wilt, um, the fact that they played smart on both ends of the floor. When Kentucky cut it to four, they had two possessions. Their next two possessions, they could have cut it to two each time. And on both of those possessions, Mark Williams had blocked shots that turned into Duke possessions and Kentucky not getting a ball up at the rim. And one of those block shots, I mean, dude used all seven, seven of his wingspan to get, you know, just barely got it with his fingertips, but, um, and, and he tipped it to himself. Like he yes. didn't just swat it out of bounds. He was able to control it. And that's what led the breakout, which I thought was great. Yeah. yeah. But I thought Duke's poise at crunch time. We, you know, again, we talked in the preview because Kentucky has all these transfers. This is an incredibly experienced Kentucky team. They, they, they had guys on the floor who've been in big moments before they were the team that sort of struggled with the moment and Duke was not. The last thing you think you'd be saying about a freshman team is that they're physically mature and that they don't panic. I mean, how special is it that we have this group of freshmen um, for Coach K's final year that looks like the opposite of what you'd usually expect from freshmen? And by the way, playing against a team that has a lot of uh, experience and maturity. Like, I, I don't think Kentucky backed down I don't think that Kentucky wasn't able to handle the moment. I they just were fighting they, all night. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think Kentucky looked really, really good. And I am terrified to play them again because uh, once everyone else realizes uh, how rest, the rest of the team realizes that they can just chuck up shots and wait for Oscar Shibway to give them the ball back, uh, they're going to be incredible. Yeah, uh, that leads me to my final point of this game just being absolutely damn awesome to watch uh from if you're a neutral fan for this game you love this game if you're a fan of either team of course Duke flying high and we feel like we're on top of the world and and we should be i don't think kentucky fans are down are completely down at all because i think this game was amazing to watch and just those two teams I, I would not be surprised if at the end of the week, both teams shoot up in the top 10 because they looked like top five teams that looked like a final four game. It was a final four atmosphere. So hats off to everybody who was in that building last night because you contributed to 
what this Champions Classic is supposed to be. A game between two really good teams playing well in front of a live crowd, packed crowd that is going nuts with every single shot back and forth. So I really appreciated that. Um, but now we've talked a lot about the good. It's time to go to what we call the autoplay ads or the bad that we have from this game. There are a few things that we need to improve. And I'm going to take the liberty to start with this following true statement and cramps. Just ban them. I don't, I don't want to hear the word cramp ever again. At one point, our three top scorers, Trevor Keels, Paula Bancaro, and Wendell Moore, were all struggling with cramps. Two of them were out. One of them was about to check out of the game. I think all three of them at one point, got, or I know Paulo had uh, IV because he had a Band-Aid on his arm when he came back on the court, and even he was struggling with that afterwards. So I know that's a very weird thing to lead with in the bad, but it really affected the team at one point. I like that they powered through it, but they were, I mean, that was a point where leading up to this game, you're thinking, oh, these guys are going to go 38, you know, 39 minutes. And because of that, they can only go 33, 34. And Jason, as you mentioned, that 11-0 run, a lot of that occurred with one or two of those guys on the bench, both not sure when or if they were going to check back into the game because of these cramps. I, I want to know, what, what did these guys have for dinner? What was the Duke team dinner <laughs> tonight? Did, they have an, did everyone have an entire loaf of white bread or something like that? There are certain foods that you're not supposed to eat for cramps. White, salt tablets. Yeah, I mean. With salt. Someone needs to talk to the Duke nutritionist and these guys need to have the right kind of food because it's kind of crazy for, for it to affect everybody on the team the same way. That's, that's, that's bad news. I will say, I will say real quick that I will say that Trevor Keels, again, coaches talked about how Trevor Keels never gets tired. And even he was showing some signs of not necessarily fatigue, but just wear and tear uh, last night, even when he got those cramps. So, I'm not sure if maybe the gym, because it was so packed full of people that the gym, like the building was extra hot or something like that. But that's something because, of course, Cameron is going to be maybe, you know, 10, 20 degrees hotter at times than it ever will be at the garden. So uh, these things, I, I think they're going to try and figure out what happened there so that they can nip that in the bud immediately. Because, you know, come this weekend, we're going to have two games and two nights in the hottest building in America when it comes to basketball. When I'm talking about temperature, uh, even when the when the air conditioning's on. So uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what happened there and how they get out of that. Um, Sam, I want to go to you because I, I think there was one real Achilles heel that we had, and that was uh, shooting, particularly from the perimeter. Yeah, just one for 13, I think, for Duke from the perimeter. And, and not necessarily bad shots, but not making them. Uh, there, there's a there's an interesting thing about this game is that, you know, you wouldn't expect Duke to shoot so poorly from three and still feel comfortably like they were going to win the game. It basically keeping other than Kentucky getting a lead very briefly in the second half, Duke basically had them at arm's length the whole way, um, despite missing all those threes. And that really is, you know, if you want to put the positive spin on it, it's a testament to how well Duke was able to uh, put the ball inside and, and get layups and get putbacks. But uh, th the shooting is definitely a concern early in the season. I hope that guys like Wendell Moore, Trevor Keels, and even Paulo Bancaro are going to be able to improve and, and at least be, uh, you know, decent three-point shooters. We don't even, I don't think we need this team to be really elite at three-point shooting to be very good as they demonstrated last night, but they can't shoot under 10% from three the rest of the year and expect to be competitive with some of these other great teams that they're going to play. 
Gonzaga is coming up very soon and, and they will have, you know, no margin for error when you play a team like that. So I've got some great stats that to sort of back up this notion of, of Duke shooting. There were 240, 240 division one teams that played basketball last night of the 240 division one teams that played last night, Duke was 240th in terms of our three point percentage. <laughs> we hit 7.7% of our threes. We were the worst three point shooting team in the country. And by the way, it's worth noting that only 21% of Duke's shots were three pointers. Like we only attempted 13. We mentioned that Duke was 236th out of 240 teams last night in terms of percentage of shots that we shot from three. It was like, we didn't really want to shoot three pointers. We didn't shoot them. Well, we didn't shoot very many of them. And that sort of plays into the fact that this team, it felt to me, and, and this is, I know we're in the bad section. I'm, I'm not sure if this is good, bad, or sort of neutral. Uh, we had very few assists. It, Duke did not do a lot of passing last night. It was mostly, you can call it hero ball. You can call it one-on-one. I already mentioned, you know, it was our, our three primary scorers, uh, Bancaro, he- Keels, and, and Wendell Moore, putting their head down and driving to the basket for the most part. Um, you know, there, Duke, Duke could lose a game and I could describe our offense that way. We won the game and I'm describing our offense that way. I, I, I would really like to see Duke moving the ball around a little bit more. I'd like to see us getting a few more assists, a few more looks from other players, um, and not just sort of being so focused on taking the ball to the basket, even though we did a great job at it. And there's a stat to back that up as well. Duke assisted on just 22% of our baskets last night. Um, you know, again, one of the lowest numbers of every team playing. We were 229th out of 240 teams in terms of our assist percentage last night. I, I don't want to see Duke being one of the bottom 10% teams in the country in assist percentage. I don't want to see Duke being one of the bottom 10% teams in the country in terms of number of threes and three-pointers made. So it was a great game. Duke won. We need to work on those two arenas. And they, and they go hand in hand because when you work the ball around, you get more open threes. I think it's interesting in that stat that everyone who played last night hit a three, which doesn't always happen in college basketball. There are some teams that go over. So the fact that everyone shot and made a three of at least one uh, is, is pretty interesting. Uh, the one thing that I want to note was Mark Williams and his battle with uh, Oscar Shibway who, of course, in the preview, we talked about how that was going to be a big test for Mark Williams. Well, it turned out to be a big test for Mark Williams, and, and it, was, it was a very difficult one for him on the night. Yeah, Oscar Shibway was, what, what, was what letter, if it was a, If it was a test, what letter grade would we get? Like a C? Were we giving him a C? I'd say a C because he, he won, but you know, it, wasn't, it wasn't his best output, his, his best effort uh, throughout the game, at least guarding him. That was a difficult matchup. We already knew that, and it, it showed. Oscar Shibway had 17 points and 19 rebounds. Uh, and he wasn't the only one. Uh, Mark Williams is not the only one that he was getting rebounds over. So I think that there's a couple of things that I think were okay that he did. But I think for the most part, this is one that he can take as a learning experience and say, okay, I'm not going to battle Oscar Shibway's every single game, but I know how to battle him next time he appears before me on the floor. I think it gives, as you said, Donald, it gives Mark Williams a, a basis for learning. And, and he's going to get better throughout the season because he had this experience last night playing against Oscar Shibway. And the guys who are, who are at the end of the bench who are going to be practice players for Mark Williams to go against 
they also got to to watch that happen and 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 so you know they'll they'll practice harder i think having played against shibway because they'll just be continually reminded remember when that dude was getting double digit offensive rebounds against you and 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 he was plucking balls out of the sky that that you thought were right in mark williams's hands so yeah i'm disappointed that mark williams didn't didn't wasn't able to stay in the game for 30 minutes and stay out of foul trouble and and score and rebound and block and do everything he had a couple good blocks but I think that this was a perfect learning opportunity for him, and he is going to come out tougher and stronger because of it. Look, the thing and to luckily, watch, the the thing that the thing that this team needs to watch when they watch the game film of Oscar Shibwe is the way he moved to get the ball when it was coming off the rim. It wasn't a matter of him having better position all the time. It was a matter of if the ball wasn't going directly to someone, if it was one of those 50-50 balls or even a 60-40 ball. Oscar Shibwe was going to go get it in a way that the Duke big men did not. Um, and, and it's not just Mark Williams. Um, uh, Theo John and Paolo, Paolo Bancaro both also struggled, I thought, with, with rebounding out of their area. Um, and I hope that when the guys look at the, the, the film, the tape of this game, they will see how great Oscar Shibwe did at that because they've got to improve that. It, it could be a problem against other big teams if Duke doesn't get better at this. We got very fortunate to some extent that Kentucky wasn't able to better take advantage of all those offensive rebounds. Yeah. And, and luckily when you're talking about practice, we do have a couple of big guys that can simulate another big guy that we would face. I mean, Theo John is just as big and just as wide as Astro Shibway was maybe, maybe a tiny bit thinner, but he's two he's two fifty himself. So I think those sort of things are going to work themselves out. This was a good, a good first test for Mark Williams and he knows what to do next time. And I think he'll learn from that. So we will leave the Kentucky game in the rear view. We'll pause it right here on the other side of the break. Duke's off and running. We have two more games this weekend, and we will preview those games right after this. Okay, guys, Duke has two more games coming up this weekend in what is called the Duke Veterans Day Weekend Showcase. It features Duke, Hartford, Army, and Campbell, and Duke will have a game on both Friday and Saturday nights. Friday night, they will take on the Army Black Knights, of course, Coach K's alma mater, and then they turn around less than 24 hours later to take on the Campbell Fighting Camels. So because we're going to have two games in the span of about 27 hours, we're going to preview these games together. So Jason... I'm going to go to you first. What can we expect from the Army Black Knights on Friday night? Well, look, we just saw Navy. Just last night, Navy knocked off Virginia. So that reminds us, take the service academies seriously. Um, Both Army and Navy play in the Patriot League, but it's worth noting that Navy is considered one of the better teams in that conference, while Army's like, you know, middle, maybe lower middle of the Patriot. Um, Army also played last night. Um, but they played a Division Three school. Uh, SUNY New Paltz is the name of the school they played. Um, <laughs> Army won 83 to 52. I mean, this is basically an exhibition that isn't called an exhibition. Um, in that game, Army uh, Army's best player um, and probably their best player on the season is a senior guard, 6'2 guard, Josh uh, Caldwell. Um, he was the Patriot League Defensive Player of the Year last year. He has very quick hands, good anticipation. He gets a lot, a lot of steals. Um, and last night, he had 14 points, six rebounds, five assists, and two steals um, against their Division Three opponent. 
uh, by the way, his younger brother, Isaiah Caldwell, is also he's a freshman and he's expected to be one of the better newcomers in the Patriot League this year. So watch out for the two uh, Caldwell brothers. Um, and, and the other guy who, who played pretty well in that first game um, is sophomore big man Charlie Peterson. Um, he had 18 points and eight rebounds in the game. He didn't miss a single shot from the field. He's 6'9", 225. Um, but he is really, really going to be stepping up in quality of play against the Duke big men. Uh, you would think that uh, Duke would have a real serious, serious advantage in terms of size, in terms of physicality, in terms of skill on the inside. Other than that, that sophomore, Charlie Peterson, the other big men for, uh, for Army, just uh, they're mostly freshmen, they're younger, they, they, they just don't seem like guys who are going to have, uh, you know, a prayer of, of staying with the skill and physicality of, of Mark Williams, Theo John, and especially Paulo Bancaro. Uh, you know, you, you never want to overlook an opponent, but Army is not a team that is expected to compete with Duke very well. Uh, against New Paltz, Army gave up 16 offensive rebounds. If Duke gets second chance baskets and chances against Army, this could be one of those games, we talked about it, where Duke gets around 100 points. This is one of those games where it could happen because Army plays with decent pace. They aren't, a, you know, they aren't a team that plays slowly. They play with fairly decent pace. So this could be a game where um, Duke does uh, uh, pretty well in the uh, scoring total. Um, and it's worth noting, throughout this season, Duke's going to be playing guys who are very, very old. You know, there are all these super seniors that are out there, guys who use their four years of eligibility but are playing for an extra fifth year because everybody got an extra fifth year due to COVID. Army has exactly zero, I'll say it again, zero super seniors on their roster. When you go to Army and you're a senior, you don't get to play an extra year. You go out and you protect our country because that's what these guys do when they're all done. So hats off to them, um, but it puts them in a little bit of a disadvantage on the, on the basketball floor. And the last thing I want to mention about Army is, of course, as, as Donald said in setting this up, we're playing this game because it's Coach K's last season, and this is about Coach K's legacy. He was the point guard for the Army Black Knights from 1966 to 1969, captain of the team in 1969, and he was their head coach, Army's head coach from 1975 to 1980. And I still think it's worth saying, every time we talk about Army, we should say this. Somehow, I don't know how, Duke hired a guy who had gone nine and 17 at Army in his last year. Duke hired Mike Krzyzewski to be their head coach after going nine and 17 in his last year at Army. It's uh, Tom Butters. It is just amazing that he was able to see what no one else in the world other than Bobby Knight saw in Mike Krzyzewski. And just, you know, in, in Coach K's last season is worth remembering the circumstances that caused him to have his first season. And for that, we have Army to thank. I mean, everyone, everyone back in 1980 had black and white vision and Tom Butters for some reason had 8K. Like he had 8K in 1980 and it worked out just great for us. Amen. Uh, and so we thank him for that every single time we play Army uh, because we don't know what could have been. But I do want to shift to the other game that we have that will be on Saturday night. The Campbell fighting Camels. Uh, Sam, that, again, another alliteration, the, the whole tongue twister thing. We're doing that a lot this episode. But Sam, what do you have on the Camels? Uh, and what can we expect from them on Saturday? It sounds like the Campbell fighting camels will present a slightly tougher test for Duke than, than army will Campbell was ended the season ranked in the sort of low two hundreds in Ken Palm last year, this year in now in the one sixties. And I think most of that is on the back of 
them pretty much returning all of their production last year. Every uh, double digit minutes guy from last year's Campbell team is, is back uh, for another year with them. And they're highlighted by uh, two players who got all big South honors last year. One of those is Jordan Whitfield, who is a guard, uh, who is, is a pretty good shooter from outside over 40% last season from beyond the arc, but he's only six one. Cedric Henderson jr. Uh, was also an all big South player last year. He's their, their main man in the post, but he only averaged about four and change rebounds last year. And he comes in at six, six, the other big man that, that's the the leading rebounder for this team only averaged a little over five rebounds a game last year. Um, and, and he's only six, seven. So you can see uh, sort of across the board for Campbell that even the best players there are all sort of undersized relative to who they're going to be playing against Duke. And that is why I assume that the same story holds for army as it does for Campbell as Jason was sharing uh, th- this Campbell team is just not equipped to to run with guys like Mark Williams and Paula Bancaro and Wendell Moore and Trevor Keels, but they bring experience. That is really important. They they won't be shy about this. They will have played at this point already a game in Cameron, not against Duke, uh, against Hartford the day before, but they'll be used to the environment. They'll be used to having some people in the room, and uh, so and because they're all experienced, uh, they may not be they might not be quite as uh, sort of taken aback at the enormity of the moment of, of being a Cameron indoor stadium. Now, that being said, I don't think I've shared this yet on the show. I am going to be at Cameron indoor stadium this weekend. I've got tickets for both Friday and Saturday night. Uh, so mm. I will be seeing Duke play army and play Campbell this weekend. So maybe the camels aren't, aren't scared of, of Cameron, but maybe they should be scared of me. Uh, cause, cause I'll be <laughs> in attendance. So, so I am excited about that. One other thing to highlight on Campbell, uh, they led the Big South last year in field goal percentage. They were tenth in the nation overall. So watch out for the Camels being being a, a hot shooting team. They're able to find the right spots and get the ball in the basket. Uh, I assume that Duke will still be able to smother them. Uh, Duke should, with their talent, be able to smother any team that's in the one fifties in Ken Palm. But uh, you know, Stephen F. Austin happened, and and these things these things do happen from time to time. So. I assume that the Blue Devils will be locked in and excited to be playing in front of a uh, a crowd, a capacity crowd at Cameron Indoor. This is the first regular season game at Cameron Indoor Stadium with fans since the UNC game, you know, a year and a half ago, uh, which I, I was, was also there. in I attendance was at that game. for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, I was. I can't believe that I was at Duke's last uh, home uh, regular season game where there were people in attendance, and I'll be at this one. Uh, uh, looking forward to it, but. Hopefully Duke doesn't have too much trouble with either of these opponents. Donald, I want to jump in really quick and praise Sam for not saying Duke's going to get over the hump against the Campbell Camels at all. (laughs) See that, that is something I would be liable to do. I I have hump day today. So I don't know. Hump day today. Yeah. It is hump day today is as it being Wednesday. Um, I did want to touch briefly on what I would hope to see from Duke this weekend in the two games. For me, the first thing is the shooting, because as we mentioned in the Kentucky segment, it wasn't great last night. And that's obviously something that we've talked about, not needing to be more consistent uh, from perimeter shooting. And and by perimeter, we mean three pointers. Uh, We don't have to take that many, but we do want to be efficient with the ones that we do take and make them all. So uh, I want to see if they can use the Cameron 
uh, motivation, the, the camera and the atmosphere and enthusiasm to kind of get behind some of these threes. And hopefully some of those, some more of those drop uh, than not this weekend. But the one thing I will say is this, the reason why we always have this little uh, uh, two games and two days type of deal, uh, usually in the beginning part of the season, Coach K likes to set this up for obviously one reason. He wants to simulate the ACC tournament and the final four at the NCAA tournament basically playing two games in consecutive days or, or in 48 hours where guys have to realize that they're going to be tired in that second game. That means everyone's got to be ready to play. There is going to be uh, some rotations in this game. We may have the same starters both nights, but we're going to have guys you know, further down the bench that are going to see some playing time because we need to simulate what it's going to happen when one of our guys gets tired. We can't have our guys get tired uh, in the first week by running them out for you know, 120 minutes in a week. We're going to have some of these young these, these guys down the line. Jalen Blakes, who played a little bit last night, he'll probably see some more time tomorrow night. We may see Bates Jones tomorrow night. Things like that. We're a little bit further down the bench. We're going to see some of these guys play because we want to see what they can do and how they can contribute when it comes down to March. So that's what I'm looking for to see what those rotations are and to see what the shooting is going to look like. And, you know, toward that end, um, AJ Griffin, you know, didn't play very much in the first half, but, but got some pretty good run in the second half, especially when some of the guys were suffering from cramps and stuff last night. Um, we are all eager to see his progression, to see him continue to grow uh, as a player as he returns from, from, you know, two years really of injuries, uh, because he has such tremendous potential. Uh, this weekend could be a great time for his coming out party for him to get more of a role because Duke, like you said, Donald Duke's going to need, you know, a little more depth. Um, and, and these are the kind of teams where he should be able to be very successful physically. He's just going to be able to overwhelm them. Um, I, I thought, I thought AJ looked good at, at times against Kentucky. Um, he, he seems to be more and more confident. And, uh, if, you know, if we can establish his game a little bit more this weekend, that's something I'm really looking forward to, uh, and could be a big development for this team. He's one of the guys that, you know, coming in, we, we heard that he was a really good shooter, particularly from the perimeter. And for him to get that confidence, this is a good weekend to start gaining that confidence from beyond the arc, because if he can be one of those guys, him and Joey Baker, if they can get threes off and start making them and see them go through the throw the through the net, that's going to really help us when we get towards the end of the month, when we have Gonzaga looming in just a couple of weeks, that's going to be a really major game where three pointers and, and all the you know different parts of our game have to be on point. And so I think this is the time to try and get those, you know, Get the get the rust off, and and for AJ to kind of get into the flow of the offense, so that he can be someone we can depend on as we move forward. So, uh, with that, um, again, those games Friday night and Saturday night uh, at Cameron Indoor Stadium. So, if you are there, try to find Sam uh, and 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 his family. They will be there hanging out. Uh, but that will do it for episode three fifty six of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We'll be back after the weekend is up at some point to recap those two games. We'll give out our first player of the week awards because we do that every week. And then we will preview the upcoming week of games. But until then, stay connected with us by a few ways. First, subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Rate and review if you have not done that. Five stars, my friends. That's what we like and that's what we appreciate. And finally, get a hold of us with any comments or questions you may have at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. So for Sam and for Jason, I am Donald. This was episode 356. And now Duke Band, take us home.